Well, last week we started our series on uh, what's usually called the prodigal son, but that's, uh, that's misnamed uh, because there's three characters uh, in the story and, and two of them are bad guys. Uh, it's not just the little brother. Uh, we, we talked about the little brother last week. If you didn't uh, hear it, if you were, uh, weren't here, I do recommend that you go to uh, coastbabble.org. Uh, there you can either download the audio file or uh, get a link to our YouTube page and uh, check out uh, what it did because it kind of sets us up uh, for today. Today, uh, we, we saw that the, the, the little brother, we compared him to, uh, to Prince Harry, um, who uh, a man who is born in the lap of luxury and then goes to a faraway country to cavort with foreign women and deny uh, his rightful heir, his rightful place. Uh, today is uh, Prince William, uh, big brother. And uh, big brother is actually, uh, he might be the, the, the really, truly bad guy in the story. And, and, we, and we miss it, I think, because we don't like it. Because very often, um, the big brother mentality, big brother idolatry is the thing that Christians deal with the most. We're actually much, usually, uh, much less likely to, to deal with the Prince Harry prodigal runaway type of vibe. And we're actually much more um, tempted, I think, to, to have um, big brother idolatry. Both little and big brother are, are, are idolaters. They both worship something other than uh, the, the father, um, but very differently. And so we're going we're gonna to go through the whole text again, and then we'll zero in on big brother and, and, and try to understand um, the depth of where his idolatry is and maybe um, some of the idolatry in our own hearts. So let's read the whole thing. Uh, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, little brother gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his life or his wealth through extravagant living. And uh, extravagant there, you could say dissolute. I mean, he really goes to the the bottom in his, uh, he goes to rock bottom in his search for for happiness and fulfillment. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage, a famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Remember that, hired himself out. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how, much more, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I'll go up, I'll go to my father and say, hey, dad, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of your your laborers, your employees. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him probably in his bedraggled condition and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Uh, And we said last week that the, the hugging and the kissing is, is it's, an, it's a physical identification that you're still my son. You're not a hired hand. You're not a laborer. You're not an employee. You will always be my boy. His son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And just as, a, as he's about to tell him, Dad, can I work for you? Will you give me a job? Uh, the father said to his servants, quickly, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate, began to party. 
Now Big Brother was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. What? What's going on? He called one of the servants and asked what was happening. The servant replied, your brother has arrived. Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. The big brother was furious and didn't want to go in. So his father comes out and begs him. He says to his father, look, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could party with my friends. But when this son of yours returns, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Uh, the first thing to notice is um, the, the position of, the, the, of Big Brother. Where is Big Brother during the story? He's out in the field. That's very interesting. Um, it, it's, it's curious what he's, what he's doing. Apparently, probably he's trying to take care of the large property, right? He's probably out doing some farming or some ranching. Um, but isn't that weird that we just heard how little brother was like, man, I just want, first he hires himself out to a citizen. He works as like an employee in the fields out in, 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 the, in the pagan world and he's feeding slop to pigs. But he's like, hey, better, th- better than that, I, I should become my dad's employee. I should go work for him because at least then I'll get fed. And isn't it interesting that, the, that big brother is doing exactly that? He's not acting as a son. He's acting as a worker. And he even says this to his father, uh, going down next slide. I've served you all these years. I never dis, I served you. I served you. Not, not dad, I was your boy all these years. Uh, not, not dad, I, I've, I've lived with you and loved you and been family to you all. No, 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 I've worked for you all these years and I've never disobeyed your instruction. Important uh, instruction there is Didache in the Greek, but it's, it's standing in for Torah. If you know the Bible, Torah is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, and it gets translated law, but it really means instruction. And so this is a, a kind of a, 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 a side, a nod to the idea of people who follow the law, who, who, who do what the instruction of God says. This is a worker. This is a worker bee. When, uh, when I w- was growing up, my grandparents had a ranch um, in northeastern California in the middle of nowhere. It's, uh, if you've heard of Modoc County and Alturas, it's uh, three hours um, east of Redding, two hours south of Klamath Falls, Oregon. It was like a big deal when, there, when a Quiznos opened up in town. That's the kind of place that it is. We would go there for, um, for Christmas, and so I spent uh, my, my Christmases growing up, almost the entire time growing up, up until just, you know, maybe six, seven years ago um, at, the, at the ranch. And my grandpa Joe was a hard man. He was a mean man. He didn't like people. Um, but, I, but he was really tough. He was a tough guy. Um, he was a hunter. And he, he, you know, he loved guns and freedom and stuff like that. And, and I always wanted his respect. I always wanted him to love me. And, and, and the way I would do that is I would try to, to be with him. And so uh, every morning, he was a tough dude on this hobby ranch. He would get out and he would feed the cattle using a tractor. I got a picture here of a tractor feeding cattle. Um, he would go and uh, very early in the morning would go and feed all the, the cattle. And occasionally, occasionally, it started probably when I was 
maybe in junior high school, like the night before, he was like, boy, feeding the cattle tomorrow. You coming? Oh, Grandpa Joe, yes. Where's my time with you? I'm going to make you love me. Pretty soon we'll be embracing in the field. You'll be snuggling me. And so I did. I would get up. Uh, I would get up in the morning early, and and every day that I was at the ranch, I would help Joe with the with the cho- with the chores. I would, you know, get he let me drive the tractor. It was like this old beat up thing, um, and I would drive, and he would bail. The, he didn't need my help at all. Like he did this on his own every day. But since I was there, he sort of felt like maybe he should make an effort to get to know me, and it was awesome. It was really cool. Uh, he was a man of few words, and he was a cranky dude. Um, but I could tell every once in a while that, that that invitation to work with him uh, was an invitation to be his grandson. It was not an invitation to be his employee. It was not an invitation to be his worker. It was a remembrance that we were family. And so... <laughs> I mean, he'd yell at me the whole time because, you know, he insisted on doing things his way. Like, straighten out. You should be turning here. Just yelling at me. That was his way of of saying, I could be doing this on my own, but I want to be with you. And if I were doing it on my own, we'd be doing it a lot more effectively and better. But it's worth having you with me because we're family. Notice the drastic difference in that mentality to what Big Brother is doing. Big Brother is earning. Big Brother is a laborer. Big Brother is... Well, even, Marilyn, Marilyn, go, go back to the previous slide. Check that. Notice how the Big Brother's his, his, his pronouns, right? This son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, right? Gobbling up your estate, not our home, but your estate, Dad, on prostitute. He's not thinking of himself as even part of the family. He's thinking of himself as a worker who's earning his way. That's the first thing on your note sheets. Big brothers follow the rules as employees, not as sons or daughters. And that following the rules thing, it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting. You know... We worry that, that we won't um, do things the right way. And, and a lot of people with big brother idolatry have a very... Well, we'll keep going. So, so check, check out the next thing. He's like, this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes. Gobbling, this is a common, common English Bible version. It's a great translation. Um, it's a, a catesto for gobbling up. And uh, it gets used elsewhere in Greek literature for like um, what, what uh, ravens and birds of prey do to animal carcasses. They just gobble them up. Um, in uh, the Odyssey, uh, there's a bit where um, there's some people who, who are robbing uh, these old women, or these old widows' uh, homes, and, and it uses the same word, gobbling up the, the old uh, widows' estates. It's this, uh, it's devouring, it's, 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 <laughs> and it's appropriate because it, it's really showing how disgusted Big Brother is with Little Brother. Um, there's two types of kids. There's kids who are good eaters, and there are kids who are not. Uh, my children are not good eaters. If you try to feed them anything besides Cheetos, they will be like, eh. and that's our fault. We're bad parents. 
Um, so, some of you, I, some of you blows my mind. Uh, so Matt and Deborah Bowden, um, they have very strict dietary uh, requirements because of um, some health issues, but it blows my mind. Uh, I once watched uh, their son Isaac open up um, his like bento box. Of, he's like, oh, quinoa. It's like, wow, that's awesome. Good job. That kid is going to be healthy. He's stoked about quinoa. Um, I remember once Olivia, like, she choked. She um, almost vomited on the ground because we were trying to get her to eat, like, raspberries or something. Yeah. What, what was it? Blueberry. I was like, give, give her a blueberry. And she's like, okay, awesome. Um, interesting. The scientists, disgust is a very powerful, very visceral emotion. Um, and the scientists, uh, uh, about a decade ago, um, maybe three years ago, finished it, but have been doing the research for about a decade. The neuroscientists, they wanted to learn about disgust as, um, as an emotion, as a response. And so what they did was they got a whole bunch of people, like 80, 90 people, and they put them in MRI brain scans, and then they showed them pictures. And so some of the pictures would be of things like, you know, uh, kittens pawing each other, like a sunrise. Um, there would be like a picture of like a, a nice car. Um, and, but then, so they had pictures of things that were pretty and fun and, and, and you know, ooh, make me feel good. Then they also had neutral stuff. So like, oh, here's a school bus. Um, you know, here's a, here's a bush. Look at that. And then they had pictures of things that are gross. So, um, for example, a decaying dead animal. Or um, something scary, like a, like a person pointing a gun at you, like right in, in, your, in your face. Um, and, and, and they took scans of the brains while they were doing this. And what they found was everybody's brain responded the same way to the, the happy stuff and the neutral stuff. But there were two very different responses to the stuff that was gross or disgusting. One group of people, it, it lit up what we call like their, their lizard, their animal brain, like the, the, the fight or flight response. It was a very emotional, like, ew, like the same way that you're, um, when you're in danger or when you're scared, uh, what lights up in your brain to cause you to get out of danger, okay? That, that's where, it's a very emotion, it's, a, it's a highly associated with strong emotions. And that was how, one, like about half of the people responded to these pictures of gross things. The other half of the people, um, it lit up what's the we, more like the rational or or sensible part of the brain, the, uh, the front part of the brain, and, and so it was like instead of going ew, they're going hmm, and they all had the same ultimate response, like this is bad. We don't like you know dead animals. We don't like people trying to shoot us. But there were two different ways that they got to that. One way was through emotion, visceral, and the other way was kind of like huh, no, that's not good. What I think they were identifying is the big brother mentality. Notice the disgust that that the big brother has for little brother, the son of yours, not my brother, gobbling up your state on prostitutes. The big brother is is grossed out. He's sickened. It's 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 ingrained in his it's his lizard, his animal brain that's saying, ah, get away, ugh. Interestingly, um, those people who had that response, um, they took a personality test afterwards, and it, and it became clear that people who had the eh! response were people who uh, had a very strong sense of how things ought to be, the orderliness of the world, how, how things should be. They were very, very much like, this is the way the world should be, and anything that departs from it, I don't like. 
And they were also very much, um, very highly attuned to threats, anything that would threaten the way things ought to be. Those were the people who had the, ugh, quick, run away response. The people with the, ugh, uh, the, whoa, hmm. That response, uh, they, they actually were much less concerned with um, the way that things ought to be. They didn't have a really strong sense of being afraid, threats, things like that. They just kind of moved through life uh, without being attuned to that. I bring this up because what's going on with Big Brother is Big Brother sees what would happen if everybody acted like Little Brother. That's what the source of his revulsion. He knows how the world should be. The world is you you should be loyal to your father. You should follow the rules. You should see things in black and white. You should know the right way to do things. Little brother doesn't. And if everyone started acting like that, the world would fall apart. And it would. He's not wrong. If everybody acted like little brother, things would fall apart. But it brings up a question about our mentality as Christians. The way I put it in, in, in your note sheet is, um, what did I say in the note sheet? Yeah, disgusted by moral failure to a fault. It's not, he's not wrong to be horrified that the little brother did what he did. It was awful. It was a terrible decision. But he's so focused on what, what's, what's gross, what's wrong, what's disgusting, that he's not able to see what's pretty, what's beautiful beyond it. Remember, little brother came back. Little brother made the mistakes, but he, he's changed, he's repented. And, and, and big brother is so horrified, so disgusted by what he's done, that he's unable to be happy. And I wonder if, if we don't have some very similar responses when we encounter um, grievous sin. Well, there's no sugarcoating what little brother did. He, it was hookers and blow. I mean, that's what the dude was doing. And it wasn't good. But what happens when we're so horrified by sin that we reject the sinner categorically? This is my favorite bit of older brother, big brother. This is my favorite part. This is where I'm like, yeah, but dude, you're totally right. He's like, you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I've been with you forever. I've never let you down. I've, always, I've been busting my butt out in the fields while you were sitting there in your robe, okay? And all I wanted was a goat. Just give me a goat so I could have a party with my friends. It exposes um, Big Brother's mentality. Not only is he disgusted by moral failure, he also understands, or thinks he understands, that the way our relationship with the Father is, is I do good, and then you give me stuff. You reward me for it. I do bad, you should punish me for it, right? In his mind, he's like, you should, at the very least, like, you know, shame this kid. The last thing you should be doing is celebrating his return. At the very least, you should be shaming him, and, and you should be celebrating me. What's your goat? What's that thing where you're like, God, what? I've been faithful. I've been, but 
what do I get? What's the opposite of that? What's, were you looking around at somebody, you know, in the church? And you're like, that person is doing a bad job. Why are you blessing them? I have a friend, um, and some years ago, uh, my friend uh, had, had a friend who, um, who they were Facebook buddies. I think they'd gone to college together, something like that. And um, this guy, he only knew him really through Facebook. They hadn't been in a ton of con- uh, con- um, contact. But, but he found out that this guy um, died suddenly. And, and this, this dude who died suddenly was apparently like an incredible, incredible human. Um, father of three kids, husband to a wife, missionary, like sacrificed everything for the gospel. Um, the, exactly the sort of person that ought to be blessed, right? And something random happened. He got some rare disease and people were praying for him. God didn't answer the prayer with a yes and he, he died. And I'll never forget, I was, uh, I was hang, hanging out with my friend, and he was describing this to me. He was really deeply troubled. And, it, and, and he slips, and he goes, God can't do that. And I mean, he, obviously he was like overcome with emotion, and so he was just venting, and I don't think he really believes that God can't do that. But it, it exposed a big brother mentality, where it's like, this is how things should be. This is what justice should look like. This is what mercy should look like. And God, you should follow the rules just like I have. And you should be blessing this man and his family. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be letting this happen. Big brothers, uh, we, we tend to see things as tit for tat, as leverage as maybe even sometimes putting God in our debt. God, I've served you all these years. I never disobeyed your instruction. Where's my goat? It's the next thing on your note sheets. Big brothers demand that God reward and punish according to their own sense of justice. This, this is hard because, I mean, we obviously we want to say, hey, I don't want to be like, oh, just do whatever you want and then, you know, it's all random. There's no, I don't want to say that. And, and in fact, it's important to note that our church, uh, we follow um, what scripture says and so we believe that there are eternal rewards. There's rewards in heaven. Um, for people who are faithful in this life, uh, God says, well done, good and faithful servant, and, they, and God gives the crown of righteousness. There's going to be levels of, there are going to be people in heaven who did a great job, and for eternity they're rewarded. There's going to be people who, you know, they missed out on some stuff. There will be justice in the end. Justice is not going to be just ignored, wiped away. That's not what's going to happen. But, but in this life, if you think you can figure out how God is going to operate, you're crazy. And I can tell you, just wait. Just wait, because if it hasn't happened yet, it will. That thing where you're like, uh, God, you can't do that. So let's take an inventory. Let's, let's, do, a, let's do a big brother quiz, big brother test. 
Um, so let's find out if we're a big, let's be honest. We work hard to be good Christians, right? Some of us, uh, some of you are like, no, not really. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, the fact that you're even here, you're like, um, but some of us are like, no, man, I, I really, I really tried to put up with things and, and make sacrifices and be willing to suffer and to do the hard things to be the person that God wants me to be. Number two, therefore we deserve a good life and blessings, right? We deserve to have a goat. And number three, a lot of what those people do is just disgusting, right? And when you say what those people do, just fill it in with whomever you strongly dislike. And number four, it just isn't fair that God is so merciful to so many people who act like that, right? This is uh, where Christians get the, uh, the reputation for being critical and judgmental, when we have the big brother mentality. Um, and I, in my life, have definitely struggled with a big brother mentality. I can tell you, uh, about 10 to 15 years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, I was learning all these things about uh, the Bible and about faith, and and uh, and I got really uh, really prideful because of what I knew and understood. Because when I when I came you know to church, I looked around at the people there, and I'm like, you guys just don't measure up. You should be more generous. You should be more concerned about you know the lowly. You should be more loving and open and inclusive. You should be more missional. You should be more this, more that, more this, more that. And, I, I, and, and then I, I worked myself up. I got angry. I started hating people in the church. And I remember sitting at the table across from my dad being like, just railing on about, you know, how the church has failed this and done that. And he was like, Tom, do you want to be right or do you want to have friends? And, and, and what was interesting about that is in no way was he being like, like, oh, no, you're wrong. These people are perfect. He wasn't. He was like, no, they probably should be more generous. They probably should be, you know, more disciplined. They probably should. Da, 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 da. You're, you're not wrong. But why is that what you're focused on? Why are you always pointing the finger at what's wrong? Listen to what the good father says to big brother. Son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Be glad. Because this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The good father doesn't disagree. He's not like... Big brother, you're wrong. Little brother's great. He doesn't say that. But he was lost and he's found. He was dead. He's alive. Big brother, instead of looking at all of his flaws, all the things that are wrong, instead of, instead of picking apart um, what should be and what isn't, instead of looking at all of that, why don't you instead look at life that comes out of death? Instead, why don't you look for places where the lost are found? 
Why don't you celebrate and party because redemption is real and it happens? Yes, you can come up with all the things that are wrong with the people next to you and, 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 you're, and all the people around you. Of course you can. But, but really, instead of worrying about who's gobbling up our state on prostitutes, instead, let's look for the lives that have been flipped upside down. Let's look for the, the, the dead who become alive, the lost who are found, those who are hopeless who have hope, those who weren't with us and now are. Instead, look at that. If you look at that, what, are you, what, what comes up in your heart? It's party time. It's celebration time. If you're caught up in big brother mentality, you, you need the, the key. The key to getting out of it is exactly what the good father recommends to big brother. It's celebrate life from death. Find that. Focus on it. Look at it. Meditate on it. Go after it. Be a part of it. Stop, stop acting like, like you're my, my employee. You're not. You're my boy. Stop being so horrified. Yeah, there's bad stuff out there, but that's not what your eyes should be focused on. Instead, look for redemption. Look for resurrection. Look for new hope. And then join party. Last thing in your nutshells. Big brother idolatry ends when we start celebrating God's mercy and grace. One of my uh, favorite people in the world was uh, Marianne Fisher. Some of you know her, some of you don't, but um, she had a big impact on my life. I know on Doug's life, uh, she mentored him as a sixth grade teacher. Um, She's uh, the mother of one of our elders, Lloyd Grimm, a great woman of faith. But honestly, I mean, over the years, she had, she was flawed. She had a really big problem with men. She chose bad dudes. Not all of them were bad, but she had issues. So sometimes she was a little bit conspiracy theory for me. You know what I'm talking about where you're like, ah. But man, what was great about Marianne is that she was always looking at the next opportunity for redemption. She was always looking for like that squirrely kid in class who could have a radical change. She was always, and she came, it was a very important part of my uh, turning away from uh, arrogance and, and pride and big brother mentality when, when she was, was always saying, Tom, love these people. Look at them. Look at what God has done. Oh, they don't do this enough. Oh, they don't do this. But look, look at their hearts. Look at the change that's happened. Look at the grace that's come. And for a woman who was dying of cancer, who's honest about it, she's like, Tom, some days it's just, I just lose heart. But I still have joy because of God's mercy and grace and what he's doing to his people. Join the party.
Gracious God and Father, we confess that we sometimes we're critical, we're judgmental, we're just looking at all the wrong things. We get so obsessed with our our good works and our rule following and our abilities and, and the things that and we and we lose sight. We lose sight that we're just your kids, just your sons and daughters. But the work we do for you is joyful participation in the family, not earning love, earning rewards. And God, sometimes we get so wrapped up with what's wrong. That we miss out on what's right. We miss the dead coming to life. Because we're so obsessed with sin and injustice. God, set our, li- our, our eyes on the lost who've become found. Give us the Marianne mentality to seek joy as we see you doing miracles in hearts. Let us never despise our little brothers. In Jesus' name, amen.